Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. So uh, the question that we have for you today is nice and light because that's what we do around here. What area of your life feels out of control and who's suffering because of it? Man, have fun tackling that one. Enjoy. I was hanging out with a buddy this week, and he's one of the most generous people that I know. He lives always from a place of abundance and generosity, just how he interacts with other human beings, and he's always been this way. Uh, He happens to be a very wealthy dude now, uh, but even when he wasn't a very wealthy dude, he was also incredibly generous. And we were out to dinner the other night, and he was talking about that one of the things he loves doing most in this world is just a small act of generosity, is just giving audacious tips. So oftentimes he tips 100% of the bill just because. And the reason for him doing that is he says, for me, it's just a reflection of grace, this unconditional love that meets us exactly where we're at. That we live in a society where we tip people, you know, the 18%, 20%, 22%, whatever, depending on what kind of service maybe that they provided us. And his whole thing is, who cares what kind of service you provided us? Maybe you had a bad day. Maybe you were stressed on your way to work this morning or, or, or that afternoon. Uh, maybe another table had just yelled at you. Why would that be a reason that I wouldn't want to provide for your life if I can? And so he says what him, him and his wife do when they just give these audacious tips is they just love thinking about what's it like when the person opens up, um, right, and looks at that receipt and says, man, someone just left me a hundred bucks or whatever the amount may be. And for him, he recognizes these people are working hard in industries where we don't always honor and value people who work in customer care and hospitality. And so he just lives out of abundance and generosity with the way that he tips. I think it's incredibly beautiful. For me, what it represents is the power lies in choice. The power that any of us have in this world lies in the choices that we make in each and every moment. Now, that is something that he does out of generosity just to complete strangers and people that he doesn't know. But how do we take that same level of generosity, care, thoughtfulness, love, and kindness in this world and bring that even to our enemies? How does the power lie in our choice to love our enemies well? I know for me that in my life that there are times when I've had people who become my enemy. I've never wanted them to become my enemy, but we just have butted heads or things have happened and pain and hurt and damage between us and our relationships. And one of the things that I've learned over the years when those types of incidents comes up is what's the choice that I have in this moment? Where is the power that I have to honor my enemy's name? I cannot control how they will talk about me. I cannot control the damage that they may add to my reputation because of a misunderstanding or a pain point, a miscommunication, a relational breakup. But I can control how I speak of them, that the power lies in choice. The power lies in the choice that I have to speak about them, that even though they may not honor my humanity, Even though they may not respect the integrity of my life, I can respect the integrity of theirs. That is a choice that I can make in every single moment. When somebody else brings up their name in front of me, I have the choice to say nothing at all or to honor their name. Instead of taking that opportunity 
for hurt people to hurt people. Instead of taking that opportunity to talk a little shit, to offer a little gossip, to give a little bit more of my perspective for justification and to want to be right in a given situation. And let me tell you, I don't do this all of the time. There are many times where I'm seething with pain and the thing that I want to do is to hurt them back for the ways that they're hurting me, especially when you have those conversations, when you hear from a friend of a friend of a friend or through social media or some other way, how this person maybe has been speaking of you. You want to defend yourself in that moment, but the power lies in choice. The power lies in your ability in that moment to choose something different for the world. Will you offer healing? Will you offer generosity? Will you offer grace? Because that's what God offers to us. This is the story that Jesus invites us into, that whether, whether we're choosing a choice in the moment to tip our servers well, or whether we're choosing a choice in the moment to speak well of our enemy, that how we make choices actually gives us power in our life in each and every moment. So today we're going to talk about loving our enemies. This is part three and our final part of this series. Sissy began three weeks ago, and it's worth watching. Sissy just did a phenomenal job in really thinking about these ideas of how we love ourselves. And last week, I'm talking about this idea of if you're going to love your enemy and love yourself and love God, you actually have to love people. You don't get to be a monk who lives in a monastery, and uh, you never have to actually interact with real people in real life ex uh, experiences. Uh, and you have to go practice what it's like to treat people as people and not objects. And today, as we think about loving our enemies, as we think about being around people that are difficult for us, as we prepare ourselves for the holidays, as we prepare ourselves for whatever's going to be on social media in the next few weeks, as we prepare ourselves for just the madness of shopping or life in a really busy season, um, what are the choices that we make to, to, what's the choices that we make to show our power in this world? Power lies in choice, and those choices can be made in each and every moment. And so to do that, we got to talk about some things. We're going to talk about control because, you know, we all have issues with that thing. And then if we can talk about control, there's some guilty laughter and amens in this room already. I love that. That's nice. It's true. Uh, then we're going to talk about an ancient Jewish worldview, which everybody said, man, that is what I have been waiting for on a Sunday morning. Thank you so much. And then if we can talk about an ancient Jewish worldview, then we're going to talk about if, dot, 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 then, dot, 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 the way that we live our lives so often. And if we can do that, then we can really talk about change. And if we can talk about the reality that change is a constant, then we can talk about our choices. And if we can talk about our choices, then we can talk about right now, which is the only moment that any of us ever have. And if we can understand right now, then maybe we can be more human. And if we can be more human, then we're going to get into some habits. I love the Bible. I've always loved the Bible. I think the Bible is so, all right, Bible fans out there and Bible fans. I mean, Frankie Anthony Velasquez and the rest of this room is a bunch of pagans. And so... The Bible is beautifully set up, and one of the things that I, I loved about the Bible as I studied it in undergrad and through my master's degree is just recognizing that the Bible is incredibly complex. But most of the time, the Bible was taught to me in a way that was very simple. And so I think that we need to understand the complexity of it to get to the simplicity of what the actual truth is about the scriptures. And what I love about the scriptures is that really the Bible has this fascination with power in this world. 
It has a fascination with how human beings use their power and the control that we might have over other human beings. That in the ancient Jewish worldview of Jesus's day, there was a perspective about the universe that had taken place. That for the average Jew in Jesus's day, they were living under the Roman occupation and oppression. And so there was a superpower in the world, Rome, that was oppressing not only Judaism, but most other people groups to the advantage and benefit of Roman citizens. But this is problematic if you're a Jew in the ancient world and you believe that you are the chosen people of God. It's problematic if your scriptures and your narrative of faith and your beliefs and the hopes that you have in this world are rooted in this idea that God rescued you from other ancient superpowers like the Egyptians in the book of Exodus and that God delivered you and liberated you and that God gave you a land flowing with milk and honey. And that this God is your God and you are to be a priesthood and a blessing for the rest of the world. And it's difficult to feel like you have the choice, the power to be a blessing or the priesthood to the rest of the world when your life is controlled by the Roman Empire. It is difficult for you to live out those realities that you ascribe to when you have seen your people be dominated and subjugated to a system and an institution that constantly oppresses you. This is a reality for the Jewish people 2,000 years ago. And the power of scripture is that it's telling us stories about what it means to be human. Because every single human being has lived at a time in their life or even currently where they feel oppressed by something else external to who they are. Maybe that thing is a nation state. Maybe that thing is an ideology or a belief. Maybe the oppression that you experience is from another person. Maybe the, the oppression that you experience is from your own anxieties and pains and depressions and fears. Maybe the oppression you experience is from the trauma that you've gone through, the wounds, your family of origin. <clears throat> There's all kinds of ways that we experience oppression in this world in which our worldview feels out of control because we have no control in it, or at least that is the narrative that we tell ourselves. And my challenge is, is that I believe that the scriptures are constantly trying to empower human beings to the belief that they actually have a choice in the moment to change the world, that power lies in choice, regardless of the oppressive forces that we may experience around us. Now, let me say this. I understand that there are very real oppressive forces in this world that some of you may be in right now and that there is a side of the bell curve there that I am not speaking into right now. That if you are currently being abused or in trauma or in hurt, there's work that needs to be done there with a therapist for you to find freedom, for you to find liberation. This is not speaking into that. This is speaking into the majority of where most of us find ourselves in life, where we all live in a place in some way, shape, or form where it seems like there are oppressive forces or there are things that have been in our past, but eventually we have to make the choice, how much longer can we blame these other oppressive forces and that is robbing us from the future that we want to live? 
that for me, I grew up in an emotionally and verbally abusive family. I was molested as a child. That is real trauma that I store in my body. And I have had to do the work over the years because at some point, I, Corey Marquez, have to make a choice that I can continue to be a victim to that pain or I can be the author of my future. Or I can make a choice about how to live into my present because even though my past was paralyzing, I don't have to be fearful of every component of my future and I can live differently in this moment now. I can blame my family of origin until I'm blue in the face. I have given $10,000 in therapy to understand it, but at the end of the day, the choices I make today are no longer my mom's problems. They're my problems. They're my choices and how I live into this world. And I believe that the scripture set us up to go live into those choices now in different ways. That for the ancient Jews, they had this powerful and beautiful story of Exodus, where it was a people group enslaved to Pharaoh, enslaved to the most powerful person in the world at that time. And the story is that God comes in and liberates us from the most oppressive forces in this world. That is a story that is true, whether it's literal or not. That is a story that we hold on to as human beings. And so by the time that we get to Jesus, the problem for a lot of the Jewish world perspective is that at the time they're longing for a Messiah. They're longing for a Christ. They're longing for God to once again come liberate them from the oppressive powers that are going on in their world. And yet, the answer to oppression was already given within the scriptures and is given to us about how we deal with oppressors. And the answer for that for the ancient Jews was how they follow the commandments. It was this belief, you have been liberated from Pharaoh, you have been saved from that oppression, now, what if you lived your life in a different way? How would that bless the world? Again, be reminded of the oppression that you came from, but you can't constantly be living into that. You now have to go live as a blessing in a different way to the world. That's the thing that was being asked of, of the Hebrews and the Israelites thousands of years ago. It was phrases like this. You were once saved from flit, flit. Let me try to speak English. You were once saved from slavery, so now you should never become an oppressor and a slave owner yourself. So constantly throughout the prophetic words of the Old Testament, God is saying, Israel, I saved you from Pharaoh, so how dare you oppress the widow and the alien and the orphan in your midst? In fact, I have given you very proactive commandments where you feed them, care for them, stand up for them, speak for them, because you know what oppression is like. So never take the power that you've been given and use it to abuse other people with that power. Instead, how is the power that you've been given an opportunity for a choice in this moment to free other people from their bondage, their slavery, and their oppression? These are the words that the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament gives us. But by the time that we get to Jesus, the people of God are once again looking for an external answer to save them from the oppression that they're within. And what's fascinating about the story of Jesus is that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Jesus is the Christ, the long-awaited king who will come and free not only the Israelites and the people of God, but here to free all of humanity. But what's so interesting about the life of Jesus is after Jesus' death and resurrection, the oppressors were still on the thrones. Caesar was still Caesar. Pontius Pilate was still in command. The religious elite who sought to kill Jesus were still there, which should be telling to us that the oppressors may not change in this world, but you can be liberated from their power over your life. Your enemies can speak ill of you, but you have a choice about how to see them as human. You have this ability, and that is the resurrection that changes this world. Of course, we want an external Messiah to come in and to change all of the woes and wrongs. But the message of Jesus is, what if the external world doesn't change? How can your internal reality be transformed and resurrected into a different reality? That's what Jesus leads us into. This is the kind of life that Jesus offers for us. And so for many of us, what we do is we play this game where if this happens, then I'll do this thing. If, right, I make more money, then I'll be generous. But how many times have we made more money and then we don't become more generous? If I get this job, then I'm going to be this kind of person. And what happens when we don't do that any longer? If or once I have this relationship, then I'm really going to love myself. And you got that relationship and you still didn't love yourself. You thought that was the external thing that you needed, but the thing that you needed was to make the choice in this moment to love yourself because nobody can choose that for you but yourself. How many of us said, if and once Donald Trump is no longer in power, then I'll be free to do whatever the thing may be? You name it, we do all these things, but my challenge is, what if it's not about the external circumstances? Because there's just going to be times in life where you cannot control the external. You cannot control who's president. You cannot control, well, you have a vote, you get my point. You cannot control uh, a lot of things that happen in life, but you can control the choices that you make each and every day. And so when we get to the life of Jesus and we get to the Gospel of Matthew, it's all about this reality of change. The Gospel of Matthew, more than any other gospel, is about change. It's the most Jewish of all of the other gospels. And it is Jesus speaking to a group of Jews saying, I understand how you see the world. I understand the reality that you have. But now, change is coming, and it's not the change that you want. It's not the change of God coming in and toppling the Caesars and the oppressors of your life. It's the change of internal transformation, health, and maturity. That's the change I'm going to offer you. Will you live into that type of resurrection life, into that type of change? Because some of these things might not change out here, but that should never prevent you from being the author of your future and making choices now that may change who you are. And so the Sermon on the Mount, which is the primary piece of like theology, beauty, umph, so to speak, of the Gospel of Matthew, is all about a different way of being. It's all about 
This is how you thought about the world, but what if you thought about the world this way? This is the wisdom that was once given to you about what reality is, but Jesus invites us into a different reality and a different type of wisdom. So with that in mind, that your power lies in choice, that we can't control everything, that change is always a constant, now follow along with me in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, because God causes the sun to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That what Jesus invites us into in this passage is a different way to find our power. It's a different way to say, yes, you have enemies out there who are taking your power from you, but they don't get to be the authors of your life. They don't get to take some things away from you. They never get to take your humanity away from you. And so you still have a choice in each moment. And how might that change the world, even when these external circumstances seem out of control? And so Jesus says here, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And what Jesus is doing there is he's really, you know, going back to a day in, in the book of Deuteronomy where there was a time where if somebody took your eye, you got to go take their eye from them, which in our modern world, we think, man, that sounds incredibly barbaric and archaic. But in the ancient world, it was actually very progressive. In the life of Deuteronomy 3,000 years ago when these words were written, that if your slave took something from you, it was a very different repercussion versus if a king took something from you. So this was a way of creating equality within society. This is a way of giving power to all sorts of different individuals. But by the time we get to Jesus, we see a progression. We see an evolution. We see God saying something fresh and new of what was always true. It's no longer an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says this, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Oftentimes people hear this passage and what they think is that I guess I just have to keep being in an abusive situation because that will show that I love Jesus. No, that is not what's going on here in any way, shape or form. This verse is all about you getting your power back from those who have power over you. I'm gonna invite Jonathan up here and explain what this means a little bit more. That in Jesus's day, you only used your right hand to do anything important because your left hand was used for 
cleaning something specific. So you used your right hand to eat, you used your right hand to write, to shake hands, everything happened with your right hand. And so Jesus says this, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, so this is your right cheek, correct, Jonathan, that person would be slapping you with their right hand and they would be slapping you with the back of their hand. Which in the Roman world, when somebody slaps you with the back of their hand, it means that they are superior to you that they have power over you, and that you are not their equal. So what Jesus is saying in this verse is, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, that means they slapped you with the back of the hand. So you turn your other cheek to them, because now they're forced to slap you with the palm of their hand. And if they slap you with the palm of their hand, that now means that you're equals. So Jesus saying this is saying, no, get your power back. Don't let anybody take it from you. The difference is you're not fighting back against them. You're not taking the hurt that they've given you and transmitting it back into the world. You are being transformed by the hurt and you are telling a bigger story of equality and you are making a choice in this moment to demand their equality. Thank you, Jonathan. You did a beautiful job. And those are powerful words by Jesus. It's saying there's a way to stand up to evil in this world. There's a way to stand up to your enemy. And it's all about the power of your choice in this moment. Jesus goes on to say, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In Jesus's day, a Roman centurion or soldier could come up to you at any point and ask you to carry his bag for a mile. That was the law. If they were tired and no longer wanted to carry their bag, you would carry it a mile because you had to. So when Jesus says that you carry bag an extra mile, what you're doing is that you're showing them your humanity. You're showing them their humanity. You're showing them that you have more power even over the law. And it was crazy confusing for people back in the day that early Christians began to practice things like this, that the way that they subverted the empire was not burning it down. The way that they subverted the empire was not giving more hurt back out into the world. It was demanding inequality. It was saying, I'm gonna do something out of the ordinary here. I'm gonna tip 100% or I'm going to keep that person's name safe because when I do these audacious examples of love and grace, it changes human beings around me. It changes the way that they have to see me. Imagine that you're that person back in the day and you begrudgingly take that pack because of the oppressive force that you're in. I get it. Now imagine when you take that pack an extra mile, how that soldier might see you, how that might bring healing in their heart. It's a different way of thinking and being. What it's saying is that there's creative options to loving people even when they're oppressing you. Let me continue to make uh, some points here and put some asterisks around this. If somebody is oppressing you and hurting you, like physically and emotionally and traumatically, I'm not saying go back for more. That's sadistic, unhealthy, and will lead to your pain and their own pain. That's an opportunity for you to get out. This is in much more of a general sense about how we approach the world and people around us, about how we show up for the types of choices that we can make every day. And what it's saying is that we actually have different choices to make. And that's the thing that Jesus invites us into. 
Jesus will go on to say, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, again, Jesus says, I have a different type of wisdom for you. There's a wisdom out there that says, when somebody hurts you, you hurt them back. When that person posts on your social media, you get into an endless argument and debate with them on social media. And this says, what are some other options? What are some other ways that you can convey your message? What if you didn't say anything at all? There was a few years back where somebody was really defaming my name in a lot of ways, so much so that I had to go seek a lawyer to try to file a cease and desist. And uh, when I talked to this lawyer about filing a cease and desist, this lawyer said, here's the deal. I am happy to go sue this person for you, but it's gonna cost you $50,000. And if you would like me to do that, I will do that. He said, but may I give you a little bit of advice? We live in a world where we think that legal services and filing cease and desist are the things that's gonna stop that person from saying something from you. But he said, I would recommend just not saying anything at all. That cease and desists work for people who are being reasonable. If you give a cease and desist to Google, they're gonna stop because they don't wanna get into a legal battle with you. But if somebody is unhealthy, if somebody has mental health issues, if somebody is in such a place of their own pain and trauma, they're not gonna stop saying these words about you. So the best thing that you can do is honestly just say nothing at all. And it was a moment where I realized this, hey, there's conventional wisdom out there that you know I'm supposed to hate my enemies and I need to go get some legal services to protect my name, but maybe the best option that I have is to not poke the bear to say, you can offer your words, but I know a different truth about my life and who I am, and you cannot rob me of my integrity and my choices. That's a more powerful option to live into in this world. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, because God causes the sun to rise on, e on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is one of those verses that speaks to all of us because it's all about the fact that life is not fair. And thank God that life is not fair. This is a verse that says, yes, I know that you want your enemies to suffer a little because of the ways that they've made you suffer, but what if they don't? What if good times and bad times just happen to all of us and God's not playing some sick cause and effect game in the cosmos? What if that you don't actually want your life to be fair? What if you were judged for all of the shit that you did? Is that what you want? Maybe it's okay that the fact that they're not getting what they deserve and neither are you. And maybe there's a different kind of grace in this world that allows you to see the equality in all human beings and for you to choose different creative options for how you show up in your life. Because what it's saying is God's choosing different options. God's not just judging all of the bad people out there. What if God is allowing us to exist and providing us a different path as human beings, a different way of living in to grace? If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. And my belief in New Abbey is that all of the things that we do in a Sunday morning are to remind us that we are human. All of the things that we do on a Sunday morning from unity prayer, from good news, meeting an interesting person, conversation time, what we see in the scriptures, how we participate in communion is the powerful reminder that you are human. And the more that you can be celebrated and accepted for your humanity, 
how can you begin to celebrate and accept others' humanities? And if you can do that, then maybe you'll do the most audacious thing that Jesus asks of us. And maybe you'll even see the humanity of your enemy. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is, yeah, you can treat people well who treat you well, but how is that living into a greater reality and perspective of this kingdom that Jesus invites us into? And this is a kingdom where we're gonna so love ourselves, so be known, that the outcome of it is the ability to see other people as human as well. That's our goal here, for us all to be more human together, not to create more pain and more hurt and to be just as judgmental and painful as those who've judged and created us pain. And then Jesus ends with this, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. This is the only time that Jesus ever talks about perfection. And the word perfect here doesn't mean perfect, like immovable or concrete. The word perfect here is the Greek word telos, which means the eventual thing that you'll get to, the last stop in that evolution. It's all about a process. And it's interesting that the thing that Jesus talks about, the telos of the universe, is our capacity to love our enemies. Do you wanna be more like God? Do you wanna follow Jesus better? Then you have to practice things like having the power of your choice each and every moment to even love your enemies in a different way than they're loving you. That's how the world changes. That's how the world is transformed. That's the thing that Jesus invites us into. Perfection is not about your ability to sing more worship songs, pray more, memorize the Bible, or give. Perfection is about your ability to love your enemy because it shows that you're living into all of the other values of Jesus as well because it's the hardest thing to do. It's a reminder of this, that Jesus never once invited you to believe in him. Jesus asked you to follow him. You can believe in a bunch of things and that will not change your life. But if you follow the way of Jesus, if you're committed to the hard work of choosing if, if, of where your power lies in choice, of thinking about the choices that you make in every moment, that when you live into a different reality about those choices day in and day out, with your kindness, with your joy, with your hope, with your peace, that's the thing that changes the world. I love this quote from Aristotle. It says this, Aristotle says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And one of the things I love about this is we are what we repeatedly do. And what if we just subbed out the word excellence? Love then is not an act, but a habit. We are what we repeatedly do. Peace then is not an act, but a habit. That if we want peace in this world, then we make choices for peace every single moment. Even when our enemies are talking shit about us, we don't invite them to war. We live in the integrity of our own names. We are what we repeatedly do. Hope then is not an act, but a habit. It's not just how you act when the, a different president is in office. It's how you act when you have the power and you continue to make choices day in and day out, day out that reflect the hope that you actually have. Pick the thing here and put it in. That the choices that we make in each moment is what shapes and changes our lives and the world that we live in. And we have the power to make different choices each and every moment. It doesn't matter who Pharaoh is. It doesn't matter who Caesar is. It doesn't matter who your family of origin is. At some point, you have to make the choice to live into this moment in a different way. 
They may have robbed you of your past. They may have given you trauma back there, but only you can give yourself a future. Only you can give the world a future by living into your choices now in a different way. We're gonna get back into our groups and ask this question with one another. What choice can you make today that will bring power back to your life and who will benefit because of it? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.